Audioversity, the voice of Reichman University. This is Audioversity News. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Once again, AI manipulates rules as code. We have a live calling from New York. Chris, are you here? Hey guys, you wouldn't believe what happened today. At one o'clock this afternoon, I went to park my car. I read the screen, it says parking between one to six. I go pick up my sub, I come back, and the damn robot is giving me a ticket. I swear the sign switched from one to six to two to six. I got so mad, Joe, I kicked the damn thing, and now I'm being held liable for damn robot abuse. Tough luck, Chris. Lucky for you, we have our professional in the studio to discuss the current issues in Rules' Code. Shalom, everyone. My name is Michal Azogi, and you're listening to the ZMI podcast. If you're wondering what a robot is doing giving out tickets and why Chris ended up in the situation that he did, with us here is Jason Morris, a professional in the field of rules as code, to share his inputs on this complex topic. Jason is joining us from Canada, where he serves as the Director of Rules as Code for the Benefits Modernization Program at Service Canada. Thank you for joining us, Jason. So just to start off, Jason, if you could please define to us what Rules as Code is, since we also know it's kind of defined differently by scholars around the world, and also how it plays a role in your daily job. Sure. So um, Rules as Code is um, a, a relatively uh, new idea, at least the version of it that I'm working with is a relatively new idea. It's been kind of discussed uh, mostly over the course of the last five to 10 years And uh, the, the basic idea is that there are a lot of advantages to be had in improving the lifespan from policy idea to actual implementation uh, inside public services. If we could take legislation and regulations and policies and things like that and put them into a digitized form that could be used by computers. And some of the advantages are uh, we could use these encoded rules in order to test to see whether or not our laws do the things that we want them to do. We could, uh, well, it would make it a lot easier to build software that complies with our laws. So building a website to help people apply for a benefit, for example, would be easier because some of the work would be done already. And then it would also be possible to share those encodings with the public and That would simplify um, their efforts to automate compliance with those rules and build applications that, that follow those rules properly. So that's the basic concept of rules as code. It, that it suggests two big changes to the way that we do things right now. One is that we digitize the rules and that we digitize them separately from other things like specific applications they're being used for. Okay, and from all of this, what you've been saying now, what, what exactly are you doing in your job? So I'm the, uh, the Director of Rules as Code for the uh, Benefits Modernization Program at Service Canada. And uh, Service Canada is the um, section of the Canadian federal government that deals with um, most of the large benefit programs that are offered by the Canadian federal government. 
And my role there is um, I, I work in a section of the program where we're examining future technology, where things that we may not ultimately end up using in production, but we're exploring the edges of what's possible. And I'm doing that with Rose's code. So I have some colleagues in my team who are building an application, for example, that helps people understand what will happen when they apply for a benefit called old age security. Okay, so if I have to take you forward, though, to the time that we're implementing Rules' code, it's open to the public, like, it's, it's like it's those everyday laws. What's, what's your vision about it? How do you see it happening? The grand scheme, if, if everything was great, mm-hmm. is that when, when legislation is being drafted or when policy is being considered, long before you start drafting the legislation, when policy is being considered, um, people inside government would say, okay, well, what is the what is the outcome that we'd like to have here? And let's say they want to reduce the tax burden on people below a certain level of income or something like that. Well, they would have tools at their disposal where they can say, okay, well, what if I just changed this percentage in this tax law? What would happen? And those tools would show them over time, this is what the effect would have. This is the effect that would have. And these are the people who would gain and these are the people who would lose. And this is how certain we are about those conclusions. Um, something that's done now, it's called micro simulation, but we could make that a lot easier with rules code. And then when they decide on the thing that they would like to change about the laws, that change could be encoded before it was drafted to make sure that it actually has the effects that it's supposed to have. And that gives us a level of quality assurance on our laws that we've never had before. And then when it's drafted, we could encode the drafting in order to make sure that we didn't accidentally create any loopholes. We didn't accidentally draft it in a way that does something different than what our policy objective was. And then it gets enacted, the legislation in code is released to the public. And for example, a person who's working in a company and they're trying to organize their payroll to pay their employees, their software would be automatically updated because that software would refer to the published version of the tax laws that apply. And when the published version changes, their software automatically changes too. So no one out there would need to get updates to their tax software in order to implement the new tax rules. It would all just sort of happen automatically. So that's the kind of grand scheme if everything was working perfectly vision mm-hmm. of what you could do with those machines automating the law by themselves as we go on with time also it would be a lot harder to do um the the robots are not going to be giving out the parking tickets the the idea from your intro of could the robots potentially change the rules that's not actually inconceivable because you could use an led screen instead of a sign and the led screen could be connected to a rules as code system and update the rules when the rules change. So that's not, that's a a little bit futuristic, but it's not outside the realm of the possible. Do you, you're saying it's futuristic, but not possible. Like you don't. No, it's futuristic, but, but possible. But possible. Okay. So we found a a study uh, done by Brown university saying that uh, due to face masks and um, distance uh, measures that have been put, 
children have a 23% decrease in um, cognitive development because they couldn't see faces. They couldn't understand what's, they couldn't understand situations and, and they couldn't develop um, optimally or, or good enough or how they used to, how children would develop before COVID. Um, and so we were thinking what would happen if now, um, masks are, you have to wear a mask and a child goes to school without a mask and the teacher or the principal writes up that child for not wearing a mask, for not following the law. And, um, the, the fine or the warning, whatever it is, is automatically being sent to the child's home. Now, due to this research going out and being published, the the system is trying to automize itself because it understands the risk of the decrease of cognitive develop outweighs the risk of being sick of COVID. So the rule is enforced, is kind of changing now because the system now is not sending out the ticket and not actually enforcing that law of wearing masks. So I'm trying to think of, of that situation and saying, um, do, do you think that RAC is enough as an algorithm or do you think there should be also more uh, safety guards while implementing it when we're talking about the public, when it's out to the public use? There, there's two things worth saying about this. Mm -hmm. One is there is absolutely risks associated with automating the application of law. There's, you, you can't avoid that. There, doing the wrong thing faster is bad, right? We, we don't want to do that. And Sometimes um, the laws are badly written and enforcing the laws uh, is, uh, as they're written, is not the, the thing that we want to have happen. What we want to have happen is for the laws to improve, for the laws to change. Correct. So uh, human discretion is one of the things that we use right now as a stopgap uh, measure to address when laws are badly written. Um, Human beings understand when a law is dangerous most of the time, uh, or at least some of the time. And when they recognize that, they make adjustments for what they're doing. They, they double check with people whether or not I'm actually supposed to follow this rule, et cetera. Or in the case of places where they have discretion, they just don't do a thing that they're not legally obliged to do. So we have lots of mechanisms like that to uh, avoid the problem of bad laws. When we're talking uh, about humans, Yes. Okay. So part of the problem there is not that the rule is automated. The, the problem is that the rule is bad. Can you define what you mean by bad just for well, a minute? Well, it has unintended negative consequences. In, okay. the, in the example that you're using, it impacts cognitive development. But, you know, it, that's just one example of a, an unintended negative consequence of a rule that was written to do something good to avoid COVID infection, but it also has this negative side effect that wasn't anticipated. But you can say that about almost any rule, no? You can. All rules, uh, that's, that's just the way that rule right mm -hmm. works is you can't change just one thing, right? Uh, yeah. You always have that risk that you're going to have un unintended consequences. Part of the problem is that we need to have rules at all. <laughs> Part of the problem is that rules always oversimplify the way the world works, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's too simple to say, you must wear a mask. There's always exceptions, right? There's always good reasons to have those exceptions. And even if it's a rule that doesn't have exceptions, there are good reasons not to enforce it. So 
it's not a good idea for us to have an end-to-end -end system that is automated, that knows what the rule is, detects whether or not the rule has been broken, and then enforces that uh, rule to the detriment of somebody without a human in the loop. I don't like that idea. I don't want that to be the future that we have. Mm -hmm. What I would like is for the rule to be encoded so that the person who notices something going wrong can automatically find out whether or not that's actually a violation of a rule or not. So the principal should have a website that they should go to and they can say, this child is not wearing a mask. Is that a violation of the rule? And the website will say, yes, as of today, these are the COVID requirements and masking is included and the child falls into the age category and blah, blah, blah. So yes, the, the rules as code can facilitate helping the principal understand what the rule is. But the principal should still be deciding whether or not it matters, whether or not it's in the best interest of the child to send that you know, complaint along to the child's house, right? Yeah. That, that human in the loop is still important. So rules as code has to do with encoding the knowledge about what's in the legislation. What you choose to do in an automatic way with that knowledge is a completely different question. Okay. But if I do want to take on, under account though that study I told you about in the beginning that actually mm. makes gives us a new understanding about the rule and why it's written badly, how would rules as code um, act about that when we have Great. new knowledge? Great question. Yeah. So now a policy expert can say, okay, wait. We also have data on the, the risks to cognitive development from mask wearing. So we can now model those risks as well. And we can, instead of just asking whether or not our law has the desired effect in protecting people from the spread of COVID, we can also use our encoding to ask whether or not the law has the unintended effect of injuring cognitive so if we have enough data about how the bad thing happens and you know what the causal relationships are there, then we can model that as well. And now the policy developer can say, oh, if I, if I make the rule like this so that it only applies to children over the age of seven, that vastly reduces the amount of cognitive development problems that are caused. And they can get the help of the computer in deciding how the law should be written in order to achieve the good thing that they're trying to achieve and avoid the bad thing that they're trying to avoid. So to my mind, taking into account those kinds of concerns is a thing that rules as code makes easier. When we are taking into account that data, and I'm going back to the process that you explained, when, when, when I was thinking about rules as code, I was thinking of a very efficient process, very fast process, very, not very fast, but very update, very up-to-date process. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking if we're still going with your process where it's going back to the, to the policymaker, aren't we wasting times in, in times where we need the rule to be updated faster because we want to prevent bad rules from, from being applied? Yes. So uh, you have hit on one of my biggest concerns about whether it is feasible to actually implement rules as code at the drafting phase. And what I have learned in talking to the legislative drafters that I have chatted with is that the, 
timelines between policy development and legislative drafting are sometimes just incredibly short. Um, and the, the fact of the matter is our laws get written amazingly fast when the government decides that that's what they want to have happen. It may not be feasible to add data analytics to that process. If the process needs to go from the minister had an idea to you have enacted a law in the course of three weeks, it may not be feasible to model all of the you know, concerns that you have. It may not even be feasible to encode the legislation before you put it in front of the legislature. So that the, the realistic, the, the real world implications of how legislation is actually drafted is, is a point of concern for me. I, I don't know if it's possible to stick rules as code into that process the way that it's built now. Unless it's more likely to be possible in long-term mm -hmm. policy concerns, um, not emergency things, but things that are being studied constantly. Just to get um, your last point clear, when we're talking about enforcing the law and when we're talking about making decisions, you don't see rules as code coming into play in those areas at all. Not today, not tomorrow, not it's, in 100 years. You do not it, want to replace not, humans for this. We used to have rules that were in the king's head, and then we put them on stone tablets, and then we put them on parchments, and then we put them on PDFs. And now we're thinking maybe it's not enough that it can be a, that the rules should be a thing that a computer can display or communicate over the internet. Maybe the rules should also be a thing that the computer can use. That's what rules as code means. That's what rules as code suggests. What people actually do with those digitized rules after they exist, that's a different question. There are good things that you can do with those digitized rules. You can make it easier for people to file their taxes. You can make it easier for people to get benefits that they're entitled to. You can help people with court processes. There's also bad things that you can do with those digitized rules. You can find tax loopholes. You can enforce rules that aren't really helping anybody automatically. You can, yeah, you can implement rules faster when the rule itself is actually the result of some sort of societal bias, in which case you're not doing a social good by just doing a bad thing faster and more efficiently, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's rules as code is just a tool. It could be used in these good ways. It could be used in these bad ways. And obviously, there's a lot of thought and effort that needs to go into being able to figure out what the difference is and, and being able to figure out where are the risks of bad things happening that we, we didn't anticipate because we've never been able to implement the law this fast before. Um, like, what does rules as code change about the nature of rule enforcement that that we need to think about differently. We need to, you know, we need to do our ethics differently and better now that we have new tools that give us new capabilities. So all of that is, is a concern, but rules as code kind of exists prior to that problem. It's just a new way of expressing legislation in a way that facilitates getting computers to, you know, quote unquote, think about it. I understand what you're saying and, and I understand it's a tool, but 
not anticipating today what may be happening, what what people may be doing with that tool is kind of is kind of closing your eyes right now before something bad happens, no? Oh, or very absolutely. good or very good. Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. I, we it would be uh it would be irresponsible not to consider the thing the problems that could be facilitated, the bad things that could be facilitated by rules as code. But it would be equally irresponsible not to consider the good things that could be facilitated by mm -hmm. rules as code. Right? We might be able to help people better. Yeah. Faster and more um more efficiently. So the automation is happening. It, it, the fact that rules as code is automation is not the source of the danger, right? The the kinds the of dangers that rules. I'm sorry. No, I'm saying the people are the danger. You're saying. Yeah, I mean the the there are also dangers that come from rules as code itself. In that there, it, it changes the way that we deal with the interpretation of law. So from mm -hmm. a from a legal standpoint. We have, we have legal questions that we need answered that we don't have legal answers for. So just as one example, there's a rule in contracts um, called the parole evidence rule that says that information about what a contract means that isn't actually written in the contract doesn't matter. When you're trying to figure out whether or not a contract, what a contract means, you're supposed to just read the contract. Right. Yeah. There's a similar rule in terms of interpreting legislation. So, what happens if the people who drafted the legislation also wrote rules as code to represent those same words? Or, in the case of the contract, what happens if two people who wrote a contract also wrote a coded version of the contract? What happens if they had the opportunity to test that coded version of the contract, and they did, in fact, test that coded version of the contract and you have access to the tests is the judge allowed to look at those software tests and say i can see from this test that this is a thing that the parties were trying to avoid and they just wrote the test wrong which means that the code ended up wrong which means that the wrong thing happened right mm -hmm. that that is possible at some point in the future you could have a judge who looks at software tests against rules as code for legislation or for contracts and uses those software tests in order to discern what the intent of the drafter is. Legally right now, you can't do that. Legally right now, that's not allowed, but maybe it should be because if it's, if it's an accurate representation of what the parties to the contract or what the legislative drafters had in mind at the time, then maybe that sort of thing should be allowed. So there's those kinds of legal questions about how do we interpret contracts? How do we interpret laws? Those kinds of things, I mean, we're creating a situation here where there are resources available to us that have never existed before. So we have new problems that we need to answer. So there's, there are kind of these unanswered legal questions uh, in addition to all of the you know, policy questions and ethical questions and, and things of those nature about what happens after we implement rules as code. There's a lot of uncertainty. So it's, I, I wouldn't want to pretend that it's just people. The, the, the technology itself does create new problems that need new answers. 
Okay, Jason, um, I, I can keep talking to you for hours, but uh, we're, we're reaching the end of our conversation. And um, I, I would like to use for us just for, for a sweet ending to picture us your best vision that you can imagine for Rules' code for, for the next, the farthest you can go. Farthest I can go. Well, I mean, I'm a big Star Trek fan, so I can go pretty far. Like, <laughs> um, I think that the at, at least as far as my vision um, is confident, I would say I think that it is. If you look at the speed of change in how we have represented laws over the course of the last two thousand years. For as long as human beings have existed, they have followed societal rules. But the way that we have expressed those rules has changed, and the changes in the technology have grown at an exponential rate over the last uh, two, three thousand years. And so I see that continuing, and I see rules as code as a part of that. I anticipate that in the same way now that you can go to Google and you can say, uh, what are the flights between uh, Istanbul and Paris? And Google doesn't just give you a web page anymore. It now gives you a list, right? A, a oh, thing fine. shows up. That's an example of semantic knowledge on the web. So the information about what a flight is has been encoded in ways that are more sophisticated and more usable by computers. So that when you do a search like that, Google cannot just refer you to a page, they can actually answer the question, right? Rules as code is going to make it so that if you ask, is my neighbor allowed to cut down my tree? Google will know. And Google will say, uh, no, they're not, because you're physically located in this jurisdiction and the relevant laws to cutting down trees are in this rule and here's what they say. And assuming these seven things are true, a person isn't allowed to cut down a tree on someone else's property. And then you can click on that and go into an interactive tool that will allow you to say, well, here's the facts and you know, this is the type of tree and was the tree diseased and were the dropping things onto the neighbor's property, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can get a better answer. But that's what rules as code looks like. In, in the future to me. That's the, the ability to avoid the need to read the law yourself in order to find out what the answer is. That's the, the kind of cool thing. It would enable people to have better access to understanding of what the rules are that apply to them and better opportunity to um, choose how to behave on the basis of what the likely outcome of those rules are. Yeah. which to me is about making the world a little bit fairer making us all smarter yeah wow yeah it really does sound good jason thank you so 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 much for cooperating it's with us absolutely my pleasure and thank you so much I, I learned a lot a lot a lot making everything so much more clear and we hope to be in touch in the future again absolutely yeah i would love to chat again <laughs> Well, Chris, we hope this helped. This brings us to the end of the podcast. 
We thank Jason Morris for joining us today. This podcast was a collaboration with the Tzvimitar Institute and IDC Radio. We thank our host, Michal Azogi, Corina Reynes, a.k.a. Chris, as well as Inbar Carmel, Dove Greenbaum, and Yvonne Saba. My name is Tomer Spiller. Thank you for listening to the ZMI podcast. Goodbye. All our shows and podcasts available online on our website and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity. Call